0: The gallows are perhaps more associated with the creepy opening shots of horror films in which a hunched figure scurries around its base, wreathed in shadows and ground mist, than they are with folklore. But is there more to the gallows? Does their appearance mark them as simple set dressing, or are they the site of their own folklore? After all, the gallows are associated with the Hand of Glory, the Black Dog, and indeed the Mandrake root. so with all of these magical elements associated with the locations, there has to be something to it. Well, let's go and find out and delve into the folklore of the English gallows in this week's episode of Fabulous Folklore. Hello there and welcome to Fabulous Folklore, the podcast for all things folklore, occult and just a bit weird. I'm your host, Icy Sedgwick, blogger, fantasy author and your guide into these rather mysterious realms. I've got some rare things to show you, so come on in, take a look around, but be careful not to touch anything. These things sometimes bite. Well, hello there and welcome back to Fabulous Folklore with me, your host, Isis Hedgwick. We are continuing with Halloween month because obviously it's still October and this time we're going to have a look at the folklore of the English gallows. And part of the reason why is because I can think of a whole bunch of films, mostly from the 60s in which in some kind of opening scene, you do have these characters lurking around the bottom of either a gibbet or the gallows, and they're not interchangeable, but anyway, the films seem to think they are. And, you know, there's mist, and there's all the typical sounds, like animal noises and stuff in the background. And they're really good for setting the scene, but it turns out there's actually quite a lot of folklore associated with them as well. Now, obviously, I will put a content warning on, simply because of the fact that we're talking about gallows so obviously there's going to be some discussion of things like execution and execution by hanging in particular. So if that's not for you, then fair enough. I will see you next week. But if this is what you're interested in or you want to learn more about it, then obviously keep listening little bit of a personal update from me. I can't remember if I mentioned this last week or not, but I've been really struggling since the beginning of September with pain in my back and I've been going to see a physio about it. And at first he thought it was just an inflamed sciatic nerve and now it turns out it looks like I have a prolapsed disc in my spine. So while that sounds really scary, he was very quick to reassure me that it's not as bad as it sounds. But it does mean that I've got a whole raft of rehab exercises that I need to do several times a day. I've got to keep going to see him for physio and so on. So yeah, I'm in phenomenal amounts of pain at the moment, which no painkiller seem to be able to touch. So yeah, if you you wonder why I'm a little bit more quiet on social media, that's why, because I'm just feeling very sorry for myself. But anyway, let's crack on with this week's episode. So as I say, we are having a look at the gallows and one particular gallows certainly looms large in English history at least, and that's the Tyburn tree. In this gallows stood where modern-day marble arches at the end of Oxford Street in London, named for the nearby Tyburn River. Now, originally, it was a regular gallows surrounded by elm trees. And in 1511, the infamous Tyburn Tree replaced the old gallows, and the new Tyburn Tree was actually able to hang 24 people at the same time. And it also gained the nickname the Nevergreen Tree. Now, I'm not going to go through all the legends of everybody who was famous who was hung there because we'd be here all day. But what I was more interested in was some of the stories associated with Tyburn about the people who survived the noose. Because I just thought that was a bit more different. And... One of the stories is of a guy called Half-Hanged Smith and you can probably gather by his name that things went a little bit awry for him. And he was a man named John Smith hanged on Christmas Eve in 1705 and he was basically hanging for 15 minutes when crowds started shouting for a reprieve. The hangman obliged and cut him down and he recovered at a nearby house and apparently the pain of all the feeling getting through the nerves and the blood getting back through again and everything was so bad that he was actually wishing death on the people who'd cut him down. So he did recover though, that's that's good. And then there was also a chap called William Jewell who was 16 when he was hanged in 1740 for rape and murder. Now, he actually woke up in Newgate Surgeon's Hall moments before being dissected. So, that would not be a particularly pleasant thing to have happen to you anyway, but he was actually transported to Australia instead. So, I dare say they probably assumed that was punishment enough. Now, hangings were moved to Newgate from Tyburn in 1783. And this wasn't because people suddenly had a problem with execution. It was mostly because all the, the people living nearby in the expensive houses didn't like the rowdy crowds on execution days because the way the executions are usually described is they've got an atmosphere a little bit like a football match and people used to treat them almost like festival days and obviously the well-to-do types in Mayfair didn't like people coming past the houses to go to something like that although I dare say they probably watched the execution anyway and then that was why the hangings were then moved to Newgate. Now, the gallows do give us a range of common phrases, such as gallows humour, and if you believe various legends, both pulling one's leg and falling off the wagon, also come from the scaffold. Now, the former, pulling one's leg, supposedly refers to a particularly tortuous experience before the authorities introduced the so-called long drop method of hanging in 1872. Now, this was supposedly more humane because it killed its victims by dislocating the neck, so it was a very quick death, whereas the old short-drop method, or sometimes known as the strangulation method, essentially strangled its victims instead. And five friends and family would potentially crowd around the scaffold, pulling the legs of their loved one to hasten their demise. Or not. Gary Martin actually debunks this one, pointing out that there are no records of anyone using the phrase before the long-drop method came in. And indeed, plenty of writers actually attended hangings and wrote about them, but they never captured this phrase. There's also no link between someone joking with you and execution either, so again the links are incredibly tenuous. And as for it coming from sort of 18th and 19th century England, the earliest record Martin actually found dated to 1883 in Ohio. Now the latter phrase, that of falling off the wagon, apparently refers to the long journey from Newgate Prison, and the site is now occupied by the Old Bailey in London, to the gallows at Tyburn. The wagon would pause outside a pub in the vicinity of Tottenham Court Road to allow the condemned prisoner one final drink. And then they got back on the wagon and went off to die, presumably having never drunk again. Now again, it's a nice idea, but Martin debunks the phrase here as well. Because this one actually dates to the turn of the 20th century as various temperance organisations gained in popularity in the US. And US cities would use water wagons to dampen the dust in the streets. And people who'd taken the temperance pledge said they would rather drink from such a wagon than drink alcohol. And this is essentially where the link with wagons and so on came from. But even if the gallows didn't actually give us these popular phrases, it's interesting that the gallows are still associated with these proposed backstories, whether or not they're true. And it does obviously have its own association with horror stories in abundance, most notably through its links with two other nefarious practices, body snatching and the hand of glory. After all, the hand of a hanged man taken he hung from the gallows was the main ingredient of the burglar's favourite infiltration device. And obviously there is an episode of the podcast about the Hand of Glory way back from 2019 or something ridiculous like that if you are interested in learning more about the Hand of Glory. Now there is actually very little evidence that anyone in England did harvest body parts from the gallows during the 18th or early 19th century. That said, there was nothing stopping people from harvesting the parts during the dissections that became legal following the 1832 Anatomy Act. And this was the act that was passed so that certain bodies could be made available for dissection. And it was essentially in an effort to try and stop the practice of body snatching and grave robbing and things like that. Now sometimes the skin of the hanged person became a belt which people believed could cure labour pains and the skin of William Corder went on to bind a book after his execution in 1828 for murdering his partner in the famous Red Barn murder. And if you are interested in the Red Barn murder because it has lots of strange supernatural elements to it as well I do have a bonus episode about that for the fabulous folklore family over on Patreon. But people also sought access to the body of the executed person for medicinal reasons, because many people believed that the hand of an executed man cured a whole range of ailments. So sufferers would attend public executions and then they would pay the hangman for access to the corpse. And according to one particular folk remedy, rubbing a dead man's hand across a swelling would ease the medical condition. Now, Owen Davies and Francesca Mattioni note that there were over two dozen cases of people wanting access to a hanged man's hand between the mid-18th and 19th centuries, but for some reason this practice was more common in southern England. Now, VAC Gattrell notes that, and I quote, a dozen people stroked themselves with a hanged man's hands to cure themselves of wens." end quote, at the Newgate Gallows in 1786 a woman even bred her breasts at Meister in 1799, so convinced was she in the curative properties of a hanged man's hands. Now, Davies and Mattione also point out that no one really knows why the cure supposedly worked. Did it pass the illness from the living to the dead, or would the illness disappear as the corpse disintegrated? Now that's certainly the reasoning behind one particular cure that recommends that you rub meat on a wart and then you bury the meat and then as the meat sort of rots away, the wart will disappear as well. So it's possible that there's a certain kind of sympathetic link between the two practices. Now it is also possible that the corpses of hanged criminals simply gave faster or easier access to fresh dead bodies. And the condemned knew that this may happen and some of them even requested that their hands would not be used in such a fashion. And hangmen actually stopped granting access to the dead person's hand in 1845, which I think seems remarkably late. But that leads us on nicely to the belief surrounding the curative properties of the physical materials of the gallows. And people actually prized the wood to cure both egg and toothache. So a piece of the wood should be worn or carried to defend against egg, while splinters carried in the mouth would apparently cure toothache, and I can only assume that's because they caused more pain themselves, but I don't know. But even the rope made its way into the hands of souvenir hunters, because if it was tied around the head, the hangman's rope could cure headaches, and it also acted as a good luck charm, particularly for those who played cards. Now you probably won't be surprised to learn that the notorious mandrake plant was believed to grow at the foot of the gallows. Obviously I do also have an episode on the mandrake plant as well and also I mentioned it in the introduction to this episode. But in the 17th century people believed that mandrakes grew out of the urine or fat that dripped from the corpse and perhaps this assumption came from the human shaped root of the plant but it did obviously help to solidify the otherworldly reputation of the gallows. Now the gallows also appears in various omens and interpreting dreams was a favourite pastime in the late 18th and early 19th centuries. Given the popularity of public executions, gallows naturally made their way into the dream books that apparently decoded the nighttime flights of fancy for interested readers. While dreaming of the gallows might ostensibly appear to be an omen of death, contemporary readers saw it as, and I quote, an omen of riches and honours to come, end quote. So it is quite interesting that the gallows almost becomes a positive omen at the time that the gallows were basically in use. Elsewhere, VAC Gatrell tells the story of a man about to be hanged on Kennington Common in 1763. A terrific storm blew in and so frightened the crowds that the sheriff called in military force to control the situation. On the surface, the events appear somewhat out of proportion, but a broadside later told a similar story of a condemned man. This chap had prayed for a fine day's weather if he was guilty, and for darkness to overtake the town if he was innocent. According to the tale, a horrendous storm rolled in at the time of his hanging, prompting the actual murderer to confess. Now, it is unlikely that divine intervention actually played a part in the hangings, and it's more likely that the latter story was entirely fiction, but it does show the peculiar reverence that people showed towards the gallows. And indeed, this then leads us on to hauntings around the gallows, and Jacqueline Simpson and Steve Rowd actually note an association between black dogs and the gallows, and these solitary canine specters may patrol the area around rural scaffolds as part of their territory. For one specific example, Thomas Colley was executed in 1751 for drowning a suspected witch, and a black dog apparently haunted the gallows at Gubblecourt Cross where he died. A century later, according to Owen Davies, a local teacher claimed to see the dog lying in the road. Other spirits might also haunt the site of the gallows and people reported horses becoming nervous or agitated near the spot where the gallows once stood. And when you think about all the psychic imprint that something like that would have on an area, it is hardly surprising that it would create some kind of disturbance that may indeed be picked up by sensitive people or indeed animals. But what exactly do we actually make of the folklore of the gallows? And I think it is quite interesting that they do seem to appear surprisingly regularly within ideas around medicine and magic in the era and i think we sometimes struggle to understand this the, the the bloodthirsty tendencies of our ancestors towards things like capital punishment and while the practice of hanging ended in 1964 in the united kingdom obviously the days of public executions are long gone even more because the stopped doors well before they actually ended the practice altogether but the gallows still remain, haunting the edges of popular culture and a silent yet ominous symbol for death. So, in a lot of ways, they can stand in for death without having to actually show it because everyone understands the associations. Now, modern medicine has largely replaced the superstitious cures involving hanged men and their hands, which is no longer harvest mandrakes from beneath the scaffold. But the man made tree and its rope noose loom large at the edge of English folklore, casting a long shadow of twilight. I would be fascinated to know what you make of this. Do you think that there's any obvious link between the gallows and black dogs? So given what black dogs are supposed to represent, why would they hang out with the gallows? Is it just because that's where people happen to see them? Or do you think it's more likely that you can understand general hauntings at the gallows? Please do feel free to let me know. We are going to continue next week with more Halloween related deathly horror type stuff. I haven't decided what yet, so if you have got any requests, please do let me know. But I thought that you know, the, the, the gallows kind of fits in because it's in so many horror films in those opening scenes. I am also busy working on the bonus episode for Patreon supporters. So that one is going to actually be about American folklore. And I have also just put out the storytelling episode as well. So if you are interested in getting additional content and helping to keep the podcast going, then you know where the link for the Patreon is, i.e. it's in the show notes. But otherwise, I will let you go. I'm going to have to go now because my back's absolutely killing is. And I'll see you next week with some more Halloween fun. Cheerio. Well, thanks for listening and I hoped you enjoyed that episode. If you did, feel free to leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts because that helps other people find the show too. It also takes between four and six hours to research, write, record and edit these episodes. So if you want to help support my time in doing that, then you can buy me a coffee. Or you can join the fabulous folklore family on Patreon and enjoy extra benefits, including exclusive episodes and articles, and even illustrated talks. All the links you need are below, and thanks in advance.